Thanks for tuning in to the Medvac Podcast, powered by the Robert Irvine Foundation, whose mission is to support and strengthen the physical and mental well-being of our nation's heroes and their families. I'm one of your hosts, David Reed. And I'm your other host, Christian Myers. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Medvac Podcast. If you're new here, you're in for a treat. This is a very special episode. But there is a price for the show. That's what you're learning right now. You have to share it with a friend or family member if you get something out of today's episode. Let me tell you, you're going to get something out of today's episode. As I mentioned, this is a special episode. This is part one of three for a reconnection episode. And if you're unfamiliar here at the Medevac podcast, we oftentimes find injured personnel and the people who rescued them, and we reconnect them for the first time since uh, meeting on those fateful days. So this is part one of three of one of those. So keep an eye out uh, over the next coming weeks. Our guest today is Ryan Layton. He is a Marine Corps veteran. He was in from 92 to 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had a multitude of different jobs at, with a long career in the Marine Corps, and he's got a pretty incredible story. So thank you very much for joining us today, Ryan. Well, thanks Honored for joining us today, Ryan. Honored to be here. Look forward to this. Yeah, yeah same here. It's going to be a lot of fun today. We're excited for the next coming weeks. Like, like Christian mentioned, Reconnection episode. So that's going to be very, very fun. So welcome to the show. Thanks excited to have you here. So we're going to dive right in to one of the most favorite questions we have. And what inspired you to join the military? Uh, I was a military brat. So dad was in the Air Force. Hmm. Grandfather, so to speak, was was in the Marines. Okay. Uh, I knew from being a little kid running around in the woods, sticks, guns, <laughs> that I was destined to go in the military. So Marines um, you always knew? Or? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I did Civil Air Patrol as a kid, mm-hmm. and my dad was uh, the Florida Wing Commander, mm. so everything that I did in Civil Air Patrol was like connection to my dad, and you know, that makes sense. Somehow, so I decided to kind of you know look back towards my grandfather, um, lean towards the Marines to get out from under my dad's shadow, but kind of go aviation to honor my dad. So there's a way to kind of hit up the the legacy of both mm. of them and keep it going. Kind of cross the two streams. Yeah, together. and then you know, I think when I was telling my dad. Uh, that I wanted to go in the service, you know, he was like, hey, you're, you're going to go in the Air Force Academy, go fly F-15s. Uh, and to that at the time, I, I was not the most, you know, like most of us, the most not the most mature high school kid. Sure. I feel um, that. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, into skateboards, into chasing girls, into doing all that. So uh, looking at the Marines and, and going and doing something tough. And then all it took was my dad to go, you'll never make it. You're too stubborn. And <laughs> then it's like, I will prove you wrong. <laughs> and uh, the rest is history. Signed up and, uh, and left. And there was, some, there was some bad blood for quite a few years. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, there's a commonality between that uh, in going into you know, infantry or something like that, especially when you start off wanting to be a pilot. And Civil Air Patrol really drives that <laughs> as well. I, I mean, I did that in high school and I was like, pilot all the way. And then when I found out it takes about 10 years to get behind the cockpit, uh, I was like, I'm too lazy. I'm going to be a ranger. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure that, that kind of same concept, you wanted to just get going, right? Yeah. And, and back where I was living at the time, backwoods, North Carolina, Mm. Out in the mountains, kind of by Tennessee, kind of by Georgia, yeah. flashing yellow light. You know, it was like, hey, get a job bagging groceries and yeah. get married and move in the trailer park. And that was the start of your life. I was like, or I or. just leave. Mm. That's that's one of my favorites, yeah. too, is is using the military as an escape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it truly is. It's like, especially when you have... Uh, a rough upbringing, sometimes it's nice to just be able to kind of skip those social classes at the end, right? You get yeah. a college education, you get some life experience, 
and usually you get your stuff squared away before. Yeah, and, and I, I got to give a lot of credit to my recruiter because I wanted out of there so bad. Hmm. I was like, open contract, I don't care. And he's like, stop. <laughs> stop. You know, he's like, wow. you, 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 took, you took the ASVAB, you did really well. Um, let's get you in aviation. I was, you know, like most young kids, infantry grunts. Yeah. You know, and he's like, transferable skills, like transferable skills. That's like, a good recruiter. Like, yeah. yeah. So I, I Which is surprising because yeah. usually they're like, um, we have one spot and that's dishwasher for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, I cook, <laughs> I don't care. You know, just get me out of here. And yeah. And he was, so, he was a, he was aviation. So okay. he kind of clued me into it. And I, I was really aloof to anything aviation in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know they had helicopters. So it was a surprise to me. That's funny. So what, what job did you end up with right off the street? Uh, I came in as uh, signed up for aviation ordinance. Okay. So, so it's yeah. aviation weapons. Yeah. So. Loading, loading bombs, uh, ammunition flares. Okay. Stuff like that. But uh, when I went to school, one of the instructors had a traumatic family event. Uh, mm. You know, I won't disclose, but they kind of did it. The military democracy, all the privates get up, you're getting recycled. And that was, we were in Millington, Tennessee. Hmm. And uh, I didn't like Millington. Millington. It's a lot of <laughs> barracks duty, a lot of buffing floors, mopping, you know, being professional janitor. Sure. So uh, they came in and they asked for uh, a, a new concept program of uh, enlisted air crew. And they were looking for people who had kind of had a background in swimming and, mm. you know, who, who were strong swimmers and, and stuff like that. So mm. the thought of being recycled and kind of as I learned a little bit more about the job, loading <clears throat> bombs on the planes didn't sound exciting yeah compared to what i want to do so there you go hey would you like to be air crew like what's that well you shoot guns and stuff out of helicopters like yeah. marine, <laughs> marine corps got helicopters like yeah man that's, <laughs> that sounds good like can you swim like yeah i grew up swimming like yeah. I, I i can do that and they're like okay we're gonna be this first um prototype group that comes through i think that you know most people a lot of our audience <laughs> would say that you know you just jump in a helicopter and you go, and it's just not that case. There's so much more that goes into it. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of ground training. There's a lot of a lot of classes. Like everyone wants to go in, you know. Once I they had me at machine guns, you know. I, I guess I would, always wasn't necessarily mechanically inclined, mm -hmm. but guns just always made sense. Like I grew up shooting. Yeah. So I, I like working on guns. I like that part of it, and then the the ballistic side of it, and the shooting, you know, terminal ballistics. Um, aero ballistics, like all that part of it made sense. So I knew how to offset aim Yeah, and I enjoyed that part of it, but you know, flying VIPs around, there's a lot of stuff you do as a new air crew mm -hmm. that you don't get to do the high speed, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exciting yeah. stuff. You got to kind of earn your place. Yeah. yeah. So what, what kind of weapons were you managing? So, uh, for the UH1N at the time we had three different, uh, weapon systems. Uh, one we had the M240 Delta. You know, seven six two three zero eight machine gun. We also had uh, at that time the Gauss sixteen, which is a closed bolt fifty cal, mm -hmm. and then we had the Gauss seventeen, or then the Gauss two B, which was the uh, three zero eight mini gun. Mm -hmm. uh, back then it was uh, two triggers: right trigger two thousand, left trigger four thousand rounds per minute. Fast and faster. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Left, right, left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think it's it's highly interesting uh, being on a crew. Christian always talks about the fact that there's so much more that goes into it mm. besides pulling a trigger. You know, you're managing uh, and communicating with your team. You're, you're managing the math, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a significant amount of 
yeah, comms, uh, CRM, right? So crew mm-hmm. resource management's huge in the helicopter. Obviously, you know that when you're working with a crew, especially in a combat environment, I mean, there's comms, there's five, six different radios going off in your head while you're having intercom with the, the rest of the team or the rest of the mm-hmm. air crew. You know, you're flying around trying to engage a target, find a survivor, like, it is a very, very And maintain intense. eyes on the aircraft at all times. Yeah, and make sure you're also not falling out of the sky. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's kind of what I like to call like having galactic essay. Yeah. You know, situational yeah. awareness of yeah. everything. With, again, like three different, four different, five different radio stations all going on at the same time. And I'm still yeah. guilty of that to this day. Yeah. When there's a lot going on, I'm really paying attention. Mm-hmm. I'll look at the ground. You know, because I'm so used to interacting with things I'm not looking at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, my family is like, you're not even looking at me. I was like, that means I'm listening even harder. Yeah. I'm I'm like compartmentalizing that and shutting that part down. Yeah. It's funny. I do the same exact thing. So yeah, in the helicopter, when you, when you're talking to someone, especially on intercom, you don't turn to face them. Yeah. You, you look away from them. You, you, you stay looking in your, your general area. So I I do the same thing. If I'm trying to focus on something, I'll like completely cut off my vision. Because I normally would, you know, in the aircraft, you're, you're looking down at at the ground and looking you know, where your friendly aircraft are yeah. and or other things. And I just looked down, I was like hyper-focused on that and just like, okay, I'm going to really concentrate on hearing. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Interesting <laughs> habits that are formed. And it's yeah. it's so funny And just, I have to mention the perspective as well as like, you know, being married and you're looking down, like they, they think, oh, it's a sign of disrespect, right? <laughs> it's and it's not, it's just a habit that you formed over the years. Yeah. This is me intently listening. Yeah, actually. except now yeah. I'm deaf. So like when kids so are talking and the TV's on, and yeah. you're deaf. <laughs> yeah, and everything's just muddled in the background of this just soup, you know. And yeah, I'm just I trying just, to. This is me not listening. Yeah, you know, I'm waiting to hear my name at a different octave to know that I'm in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Like you're not paying attention, are you? Like that's a weird way to start a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> so so let's talk about um, your first deployment to the Middle East. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're, uh, you're, you're going through your training, you're spinning everybody up and how's that initial brief feel like, Hey, you're going downrange. Uh, it, it was kind of weird. So we were yeah, at the, at the weapons school. So I was at MOTS one Marine aviation weapons and tactics squadron one, where we hold two WTI weapons and tactics instruction courses a year. So basically, you know, the best and brightest from the fleets get sent through as students and we're training, and you're really refining all the TTPs that get pushed out to the fleet. And then when OIF happens, you know, everyone got kind of flagged to go, and we're the weapons school. So, like, well, we're not going to have a course because everyone's deploying. Hmm. Um, so we only had two Huey instructors, myself and a guy named Shane Winley, and they broke us up, you know, but I, was, I came up on the East Coast, so they're like, hey, you're going to get attached to an East Coast squadron. Mm-hmm. Shane was going to go to a West Coast squadron, which was, oddly enough, one of my old squadrons. Hmm. Um, and go deploy. So we show up, and, and rightfully so, there was probably a little bit of resentment from them, you know, as the 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 MOTS guys show up, and they probably thought we were there to take their glory, you know, we get deployed, and here's the, the weapon school guys trying to Heisman us out of the way, like, no, we're here to fix you. And it really wasn't that. It was just, hey, they were identified as short uh, on, on instructors, hmm. and we were really there just to, to augment them, you know, okay. it wasn't to strong arm stiff arm grab their glory it was more like hey where do you need me you know like let me put on a pack just like you and and hopefully help help teach and and get everyone there so you know when i got there i was kind of assigned to a crew and 
I didn't really know any of those guys because it had been eight, nine years since I'd been in that unit. So everyone I know had pretty much rotated out of there. Mm. So I, I got signed um, to the crew that went into like um, Task Force Taro, which went into like Annan and Zaria, which turned out to be a really, really hot spot yeah. uh, during the war. So it was, it was really kinetic the whole time. So a lot of flying, um, you know, refueling off of convoys stopping convoys, rearming off of convoys. So it was kind of stopping trucks and, hey, you got any link, you know, 762, you got any 50 cal? Yeah, got any fuel? <laughs> yeah, stopping with the infantry would stop for the night. You would just sort of land sometimes, dig in. You didn't always go back to the airfield. That's pretty cool. Wow, that's interesting. So it was very, uh, very uh, maintenance heavy. Mm. You know, if you had battlefield damage, it was literally on the spot just making things happen and it, I think it really refined me as a mechanic of, okay, yeah. you know, no, no kidding with the pilots. This is something that we need to, we need to get back or we can kind of make a field fix and keep this going because as much as, you know, you want to err on the side of safe, you air crew. And I'll say this forever, like the Marine aviation is support the guys on the ground. So mm-hmm. when they need close air support, I don't that they, you have some of the aircraft you're not crazy about like that. We'll make it work for those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Your jo- job is to be there when they need air support. Hmm. Yeah, and that's what you were primarily doing was was CAS, right? Yeah, hundred percent. We okay. were there just uh, uh, mostly this air uh, cap, you know, combat hmm. air patrol. So you're you're just in the area if they call in for it, you're there. Mm-hmm. And hmm. how did that feel for you? Were you just like ready to go every time? Yeah, we were. You were. <laughs> you're ready to go. It was a lot of long days. So I mean, there's a sure. lot of times you're you're. I hate the term crew day because every mechanic watching this is going to roll their eyes and go, hey, the prima donna air crew is talking about crew day. Um, but literally, when you, you've you been in the air nine, ten hours, you know, not consecutively because you do land every hour and a half and get fuel and rearming. There's a certain point where your your circadian rhythm is so jacked. Oh, yeah. You know, and then you got the uphills and downhills trying to stay awake and you're trying to balance it out with the other, other crew. And I was like the instructor, so usually I had two junior guys and it's great at first because, you know, I would rotate them through where the newest guy was in the middle just watching, you know, in a troop seat. And then I'd be on a gun. And then eventually, you know, through 12, 13 missions, when I felt confident, I would be in the middle. So mm. that's hard, yeah. you know, to where you let up on a gun where you think, you know, like, okay, I'm the all-seeing wizard, if you will. <laughs> and that sounds arrogant, but it's, you know, you... you their parents, I think, would have some sort of assurance if you were there watching their kids, not putting them in crazy situations. Sure. To yeah. where you're you're just in the middle and trying to just sort of direct the orchestra. You're watching what the pilots are doing. You're watching gauges. You're helping with comms and just all that little intricacies of, of air crew that's unsaid of just mm-hmm. taking task shedding, task sharing. You're just yeah. grabbing what things you can do and do. And that's mainly navigation and galactic essay providing yeah. comms and essay yeah yeah absolutely yeah having that cent- central position in, in the helicopter helps helps quite a bit especially when you're taking a little bit of those resources away from the pilot or those you know task that task saturation and if you're able to take that away from the pilots and the the gunners and have someone centralized to divvy up tasks like that i think that's that's really helpful and i think back in 03 we were the first ones um, I think it's my aircraft specifically, if I recall right, uh, it was one of the first ones to have a FLIR. Mm, okay. So being able to have that and working in the hand control unit and really getting proficient, you know, for PID yeah. and being able, because we were good about 12 clicks, you know, oh. uh, of looking in. So 
being able to have that confirmation way out uh, and, yeah. and look and, you know, helping out with, with FAC A, you know, Fort Air controlling um, and being able to see the targets and breaking out. Not like, I think that's that, but kind of <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I'm positive. Yeah. That's that and queuing in the, the pilots, you know, for SA and letting them see because they could keep more heads down, heads up of the aircraft because, you know, what happens, you're in, you're in a situation and both of them are looking down at the FLIR screen or both of them are looking down at the gauges. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, the ground starts getting bigger and you're like, hey, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, by the way. Yeah, hey, hey, yeah. Or it's getting bigger, no bueno. Yeah. It's, it's got to be such an interesting topic of discussion when you see the technology really grow during your time in, right? Yeah. I mean, and that just like really, it's easy to get fixed on the instruments, I'm sure. Oh, it, that and the GPS, like the GPS mm. was new then. So you had this, you know, green box Velcroed to the dash, and then you had this screen that the pilots loved to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it, it, there was a lot of uh, gadgetry, if yeah. you will. So, yeah. and, and, you know, with us, we had one aircraft, three different squadrons. So it wasn't that, you know, guys that you've always trained with. So you had three different ways of doing things, which, mm. you know, the Marine Corps standardized anyway, but there is isms. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have those, you know, a, a new co-pilot, and then the our, our pilot was a, a guy named Call Sign Caesar, a phenomenal human being um, that had a lot of confidence in me. You know, mm. early on, hey, he's a weapon school guy. You really need to back me up because we got a pretty junior crew. But that's how it should have been. You know, you mm. have a mid to newer level, you know, signer or your, your pilot in command, your pick, uh, junior AO, junior crew chiefs, and then like a senior crew. So it, they 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 really did their best to balance out the crews where it yeah. made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you want to put some experience with less experience, but at, at those times in, in early OIF, no one had any combat experience. So was it was just a, basically time in the helicopter at that point, yeah. time in grade yeah. at that point, right? Yeah, and it was, you know, Cass and, and the, the the front lines were always kind of moving around, mm-hmm. and you get called in, you know, on a nine line for Cass or five line. And you're just, there was no GRGs back then. You're yeah. looking at an old school map and you're trying to come in. And, you know, when you start shooting within 50, 100 yards of, of live Marines. Yeah. And with no digital PID. Yeah. 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 And you're, you're just, yeah. you're like, I hope I get this right. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm, sh- I'm sure you saw that that change dramatically between 02 and well, I guess your last deployment was 2012, right? Yeah. 2012. Yeah. And it was, so that it 10 was, year period, you, yeah, you saw a dramatic change in the technology that advanced the battlefield yeah, and, it was, and the airspace you know, from the November to the Yankee and then all the yeah. electronics in the Yankee, it was going from a Volkswagen bug to a Ferrari. I mean, yeah. it was, it was, and you're the dinosaur then, you know, we were, yeah, even then. you're, you're the, the dinosaur that that's expected to like, okay, you know, you're, keep up. You're, you're now the wizard of everything Yankee yeah. and, and you're just trying to keep up and you get all these incredibly smart kids coming out that are, that know the aircraft and the systems a lot better. And mm. you just know that, you know, you have the old school knowledge that you're yeah. just trying to blend it all together. That was an interesting yeah. one too, is that the training, the technical training, like as you approach the end of the war just got so intricate, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was instead of just the fundamentals, it was now, the basis, right? I mean, know the aircraft, know, know the maintenance before you even get to the aircraft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a lot more um, then of, you know, probably a little lower and slower when we were young. It was like you were the mechanics that kind of fired machine guns and did clearance calls when you were landing. Yeah. And then by the end in Yankee, you know, when you would get a tick alarm, troops in contact, you know, usually the enlisted air crew were the first ones at the plane when the alarm went off. 
and they're firing up the APU, firing up the radios, getting mm. you know all the grids for it. By the time the pilots are are in, like the essay is pretty much already there, where you're off the ground in less than five minutes, mm. and the crew development from like the enlisted air crew being a lot more of like what I call a crew compared to, you know, early on there were a little bit of plane riders, mm-hmm. uh, evolved a lot. And that was, that was exciting to see. Cause there's a lot of us that put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into really pushing that evolution. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. so, so beneficial too, other than just being the self-loading baggage. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not what you want. <laughs> exactly. And that, that's a, that's a term that we used a yeah. lot, you know, yeah. but it was like guys would, you know, go out, to, go, hop in the aircraft, kind of like not pay attention, go out to the range. Okay, and I'm at the range, now I'm going to do my part and shoot. Like, yeah. Okay, we're done. We're going to go home. Like, okay, just kick back. Take a nap on the way yeah. back. Like, no way, man. You got to be engaged. You got to be involved. Yeah, now guys yeah. Are, are probably closer, you know, yeah. to what, like the Air Force, SMAs, flight engineers. Yeah. Where they're I, a lot more engaged with gauges and, and things are going on. And mm-hmm. It's, know. yeah, it only provides a benefit, in my opinion. But, so between 2002 and 2012, how many deployments did you end up having? Um, I kind of moved around uh, a little bit. So after the weapons school, mm-hmm. uh, OIF, um, I got kind of went through my, my NCO starter kit. You know, okay. as I call my first divorce. <laughs> um, got back and uh, got custody of my daughter and uh decided to kind of get a break because i most of my my time in it had been in deploying units okay and even at the weapons school it's uh, they call it a break it's non-deploying but obviously i went to oif yeah for quite a bit uh with it and came home and uh kind of had some some challenges re kind of reintegrating because back then there was no real integration you know there was a lot of people happy to see you there's a lot of you know a lot of pats on the back and came back, but sure. when you go through, you know, a rough generalization of 10,000 10, rounds plus a minigun a day, yeah, shooting at human beings, and then you come back and it's like, okay, good job, go home, yeah, go do a family barbecue, yeah, now, and, and, and you go home, and I, and I remember I'd uh, I'd gone home and, um, you know, place was cleaned out, got that that mm. kind of reception when I came home, so not oh, man. no furniture, no anything. And uh, kind of dealt with that and kind of just locked myself in, in the house and I couldn't sleep and, you know, inside because I, I hadn't been inside in months. Yeah. yeah. So and it outside. was in Yuma, Arizona. So I remember going in the backyard and kind of like digging like a four foot hole in the backyard and like climbing in the hole. Really? You know, my neighbor the was fox hole. My, my, my neighbor was a cop, you know, and he yeah. like, hey, you, you OK over there? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just working through some things. And uh, wow. Man, so I'd, uh, I'd kind of work through custody and. Um, I wanted to get um, somewhere where I could be a present dad while that was kind of stabilizing out. Hmm. Um, so I requested to go to New Orleans. Okay. So it's 4th Marine Air Wing where I went down to as an active guy at a reserve unit. So kind of equivalent Air Force standee valve, yeah. main tops instructor. Go down there and uh, ran flight line, ran uh, quality. And this was right, like right smack dab after Katrina. Hmm. So everyone had kind of evacuated to Atlanta. And then when I got back that they were, you know, kind of flying around doing the rescues. Yeah. And that's where, you know, talking to my buddy, Jim Davis, he, he'd been out there the same area, yeah. you know, when we were, we were out there probably high fived. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, flying around the Superdome. I love uh, that guy. Yeah. So, so dive into that a little bit. You helped with those operations. Yeah. Got there at the end of that. Um, and kind of being at the weapons school, uh, in, in Yuma, there's the search and rescue unit. So there are the few guys that are actually still do 
rescue stuff. So the Marine Corps really doesn't deal with rescue too much. Yeah. Not on the Huey side. Mm-hmm. Um, but because there's a search and rescue unit there, we kind of, the Huey guys augment over there from time to time and, and would help out. So I was one of the few guys that understood how a rescue hoist works. So yeah. they came down there like, hey, man, we got these dusty relics in the hangar. Can you get them working? <laughs> you know, got the rescue Randy, load tested them and like, yeah, they're good yeah. to go. Let's go. Yeah, let's give it a shot. Fired them up. <laughs> I had to train all the other guys. They're like, what are these things? How do you install them in the aircraft? Like, it's like a big garage door opener. Yeah, yeah. they've been there forever. Yeah. yeah. So we did that. And then I got there. And called the monitors like, "Hey, I'm not going anywhere for a while, right? I'm here." And like, "Yeah, I just want to, hey, get you stabilized." And I was like, "Did okay. your leadership know at the time that you were going through some yeah, issues?" Yeah, yeah, I had a, uh, a a really good master gunnery sergeant who was the maintenance chief, who who was a solid, solid human being who knew what was going on. So he's, you know, put me in charge of, of maintenance, which was really rare for a flyer to do because mm-hmm. most of the mechanics, you know, sixty one fourteens. Mm-hmm. Um, get that just because they don't, they're not, they're always there, right? They're not yeah. out flying. So, uh, for him to do that was a, a huge, huge thing for me. It really meant a lot. And what year is this? This is 2006. So 2006, that, I mean, that's a really early time for your leadership to recognize some post-traumatic stress symptoms that are coming out, some family issues and being able to like, let you breathe a little bit. Mm. We, we see a lot of the time in aviation, especially we can't go to our leadership. Yeah. Right. You're, you're, Cause you're, you feel like you're getting, going to get fired. Yeah. Immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, uh, and I was having a real hard time with, you know, I, I had kind of early in my career had a, a real bad mishap where I went out on as a recovery from two Cobras mm. that hit each other. And, you know, seeing that were kind of extracting someone from a fire and, and, you know, they were all four fatalities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and dealing with that, it was like, you know, that, that bothered me a little bit. And then the point of the, like the deployment and, you know, the constituting like at the end of the day, do I feel bad for shooting anyone? No. I mean, they were all legit, you know, honorable killings. Like, and that was the only reason, like when I, before I deployed to OIF, I, I talked to my dad, mm-hmm. you know, cause he'd served in Korea, you know, about what, what do I do? Yeah. You know, what's the secret it? sauce? What's mm-hmm. the, what's the skinny? What's the, the gouge you can tell me? Yeah. Cause I'm one of those guys that just like walk around, like to get a lot of knowledge. And he's like, don't do anything you'll regret later. Yeah. Because like that will, that will eat you alive. So, yeah. you know, kind of a, a funny story. Like when you're in, in combat like that, where, Hey, you know, there's a free fire area where you could literally shoot anything. That's a target, a valid yeah. target. I remember seeing guys, but you have to understand kind of the, the dynamics over there. Everyone's got an AK. Yeah. So there's times where you'd see an 18, 19 year old kid walking with an AK and he's got it shouldered. And, you know, by the letter of the law, he meets criteria as a combatant. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you swing the gun at him, but not shoot him and, you know, have him trip over himself and fall down. Yeah. And, hey, maybe go home and think your, think your life. Yeah. You evaluate what you you're be doing. Able to, yeah. Maybe just that. dumb kid doing dumb kid things. That's why I love the red lasers. This is the yeah. best warning sign in the world. <laughs> <laughs> psychological warfare it is yeah, yeah so that, that was kind of a, a thing of like i didn't have any trauma or a bad kill or anything that i regretted mm-hmm. you know anything that was you know on the safety of my crew of making sure yeah. that, that we all got back regardless mm-hmm. and then being a little bit senior i think my job and why i wanted to go was like that ethical representation you know, you don't yeah. want to go in there and cause any propaganda for the bad guys. Yeah, absolutely. Young guys doing stupid things because that's sometimes your 18, 19 year old kid in the Marine Corps in a helicopter. Mm-hmm. They want to go over and, 
you know, someone to shoot something for the first time, but they just don't understand the bigger picture of why you're mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you developed uh, copious amounts of experience uh, and were like in the mix of it, training the dudes, making sure your guys becomes a, a little real for you when you see your actual teammates go down. Right. Mm. Um, that, that has messed that that's the hardest part. I think you, my service too is like you, you do what you signed up for. Mm-hmm. And then the moment you lose a friend is the moment it becomes real. And you're like, you start questioning everything. Why, why am I here? What are we doing? Right. Yeah. We had, uh, so I deployed again in 2007, 2008, uh, up around Fallujah. Mm-hmm. So we we're, at, um, Al-Assad Air Base, but we went over uh, and did a lot around Fallujah during that time, and that was pretty kinetic. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. <laughs> quite a quite a bit of flying, yeah. and you're you're with the the reserves, so you know not not saying anything on them because I have a really high regard for the reserves. But you have some pilots that are probably you know at that time, airline pilots had a lot more experience than a, were better sticks than a lot of the fleet pilots. Sure, um, but we were dealing with three different squadrons all combining overseas. So you had a little bit of that, like who was in charge? Yeah. You know, was it the, the, the guys from up north? Was it the guys from Atlanta who was the, the headquarters flagpole? Or was it the dirty guys down in New Orleans? So <laughs> where everyone's kind of jockeying for a position. Mm-hmm. So, um, but kind of answer your question, like up before my last deployment, it's really when the, the first time that there was a, a training mishap right before we deployed where we lost... Uh, quite a number of crew right mm. before our last deployment, and that that was pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, that's a hard one with the the training mishaps and training losses. It's hard to find a reason why sometimes. Yeah, and it was it was uh, you know midair between a Huey and a Cobra. Yeah, so we lost uh, seven man. crew members right right before you deploy again. Yeah. So that's got to be fresh yeah, in your that, mind. Febru- that's February twenty second. We deployed in April. Oh yeah, so yeah about 30 days prior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sets the mood for the deployment too. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, kind of sad story is like, I'd been on that Huey all day. Oh really? Doing, uh, you know, like kind of Stan eval stuff and, uh, it was going to go day into night and, you know, single dad thing. I'd missed my uh, kids soccer games. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my that buddy, mortality really sinks in at that, at yeah. that point, which yeah. the military does a really good job in boosting up, you know, invincibility. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and and that goes out the window when you when you see your friends uh, pass, and especially uh, if it's a training event, yeah. which is just uh, super unfortunate. So that sets the tone for you. You must be feeling pretty heavy at this point, and then you hit your final deployment. Yep, final deployment in uh, in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, final deployment in aviation. So had another one on the ground side, but uh, deployed kind of with a heavy heart, you know, and our, our our goal was to, you know, hey, at this point, get everyone home. Uh, that's really all you can do, kind of shepherd around everyone. I don't think anyone had to really process anything hmm. because you're in that deployment cycle where yeah. you're getting ready to go. So everyone kind of puts a pin in the grieving, yeah, you know, and, and they carry that into deployment of maybe some deployment patches. Hey, we'll wear every flight and kind of take them with us because they all hmm. deserve to be there. Yeah, of you course. Know? So you're, you're going to like, okay, hey, no more after them. You know, everyone else is, we're going to kind of slow it down a little bit, Mm. go in. It was kind of a, is the squadron that we were in was HMLA 469. It was a stand-up squadron. So it was an expansion squadron. So before that, it didn't exist a year prior. Like I think in 2010, it got stood up because there was enough um, rain light attack helicopter squadrons to to 
do the deployment squadron. So mm-hmm. they, they just stood one up. And how do you stand one up is you just give it a name. Mm-hmm. And then all the other squadrons donate some aircraft and donate some people. Okay. And that's a really hard blend right before, you know, two years for a deployment. And then, but oh, wait, you know, we're going to take away the Novembers and we're going to give you Yankees. Mm-hmm. So now you got a new aircraft to that. And then, so there was a lot of different expectations and a lot of different people that necessarily weren't really gelled working together. Like, and I'll say this, a lot of talent, probably not the most cohesive Mm, sure. at the time as far as, so there was a, definitely some clicks, definitely some riffs, but overall some really talented people in the right positions to mm. make it, you know, we could do everything, but get out of our own way sometimes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's that's tough to do. So let's talk about that deployment, right? Your mm-hmm. last deployment um, in aviation. Mm-hmm. So is that typical? I mean, how does that go? So I was uh, I was in charge of quality assurance, so all the airworthy maintenance, um, and basically it was like the senior enlisted mm-hmm. guy. So um, between kind of working in and you know signing names to schedules and kind of looking at mission sets and a lot of them are color coded and you're kind of like looking at the balance of the crews like you know for crm right like mm-hmm. chemistry who got which ones mm-hmm. are getting along which ones aren't getting along where's our friction with the pilots where's our friction with internal air crew mm-hmm. and you're kind of like massaging those around and then when is it most kinetic because we had a midnight to noon shift and a noon to midnight and a lot of things seem to happen between midnight and noon like early morning stuff is when it tend to get more kinetic so mm-hmm having the more experience. And that was another thing we, there was only, I think three or four of us that had ever deployed before. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them were right out of school. Wow. So it was trying to go, okay, how can we set this up for success? Cause you still got to maintain ops tempo. Yeah. It can't mm-hmm. be on every flight, but I might yeah, need you to. Say yeah. It's not ideal, but what we, you know, when you start like doing your ORM risk matrix, what can I do where I'm going to sleep at night, you know, and knowing that all that their husbands and wives and, uh, you know, parents and uncles and all that have confidence that leadership's making and informed decisions to mm-hmm. kind of doing what we can to bring everyone home. Because mm-hmm. the last thing we, we we were fresh off of a mishap and we know what that was like. So yeah, mm-hmm. don't um, don't want to repeat that. Yeah, and then oddly enough, I think my my aircraft was the first one to get you know into a firefight. And then it was like you know, oh, you're, you're jockeying and putting yourself in these positions. Like oh. no, I'm, yeah. no. I'm, <laughs> No, I'm not, not at all. I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't. You know, I don't want to be here. I just. Uh, I want to make sure that, that you guys are being experienced. But hindsight, you know, I, I'd rather be on those missions than those guys at first because. Sure. I think at that point, like, okay, let's just kind of get the first one out of the way. You know, mm. your first patrol. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and everyone see what that was like. Break okay. the ice. Yeah. 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 Now let's sit around. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's get everyone up to speed. Like, okay, the best thing to do is communicate. You know, pass on mm. what's going on. Make sure what we're doing makes sense. Yeah, get the jitters out. <laughs> yeah, so we were we were assigned, um, I think in the Air Force, to call them hard crews. We were combat crews. So you have the same four or five guys you fly with. And we had some floaters, you know, on the enlisted side, uh, guys that would kind of rotate through. And they were most, you know, the very junior guys. So typically we'd start out with our, our two pilots. And then, you know, myself would be on the minigun because it's probably the most powerful. Uh, it's on the right side covering the pilot. Mm-hmm. And then the 50 cals on the left, typically a little easier to operate um, and lower, like kind of, 
it's just easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the minigun's a little more complex if it jams. So usually the more experience goes. So I would go, most junior guy would just ride in the middle seat. He'd look at the FLIR and he'd just basically just get to be a spectator mm-hmm. and drink it all in. There's no, nothing required. It's mm-hmm. just all received mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, after 12, 13 flights, uh, I would move to the left. I'd put the second junior guy uh, that was on the 50 cal, put him on the minigun. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after a couple more missions, then I would put the junior guy on the 50 cal, second junior guy in the minigun. Then I would ride in the middle, mm. and then I could just be there to back them up okay. if whatever needed. And it was really like development of rotating it through and then doing all the paperwork. You know, you're still doing TNR and ATFs, aviation training forms mm. on the, the air crew, and seeing you know who needs remedial, yeah. who's doing well, who's not doing well, and then trying to, you know, there's sometimes there's just people just gel with certain instructors. Sure. Yeah. You know, the chemistry's there. So, hey, you know, a staff sergeant Barnes or a guy like that really, really, you know, can mentor a kid like this where, where I can't. Yeah. You can or, see where or they vice versa. And, and, you know, kind of everyone had their favorites. So you start walking that fine line of buddy where it's mm-hmm. too casual to where it's like healthy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't want to go too far in the other direction either. Yeah. And then trying to keep track of, you know, engagements who, who got engaged. So if you had one that just had any, had any, and this other guy had it, you're trying to like shuffle those crews and none of them like it. The guys that are getting action, when you start <laughs> changing them to another crew, they think it's yeah. personal and yeah. you know, someone else is trying to steal their taking my action away. Yeah. So you're never making yeah. any friends over there, but at the end of the day, you, you have to be in charge and yeah, you know, kind of what they call the burden of burden of leadership in some places. Yeah. Yeah. Makes That's sense. That's good. So I want to build the picture a little bit and move into move into your crash story. So that was on your 2012 deployment. So can you walk us through that day a little bit? Talk about what you guys were getting ready to do. I know you were inserting some Aussie commandos, but can you build the picture for us? And yeah, the weeks prior, the we'd been working up with uh, with um, Second Commando, um, which is Task Force Six Six mm-hmm. Australian Commandos. And uh, British SAS. So we've been a lot of doing a lot of VI, mm-hmm. vehicle interdiction, a lot of cars mm-hmm. driving around, um, smuggling routes and all that. So we would go in, you know, pop flares at the cars, get them to stop. And then we had the QRF, which were usually uh, British SAS or, or some Aussie commandos, but it was primarily Brits. And we would go out and stop the cars and they'd have opium, heroin, mm. whatever. And they would they would blow up vehicles. We would take the, the you know, the... People of interest back with us, uh, or they would have some 53s and later on uh, B-22s mm-hmm. would come in with a larger QRF and, and take those guys away. Um, but at night, we kind of started doing named ops with the Australians. They'd have a compound where they had a uh, person of interest, mm-hmm. and they would have you know uh, feed of them, uh, drone feed of them, that they, hey, they're in the area. Uh, we would be on the flight line and go like, okay, hey, we got we're, we got the order to launch. They're there. We're gonna go. We're gonna go hem them up. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing that for a while. And we'd kind of been what I was talking about a minute ago. That's kind of why I mentioned it. We talked about some engagement pairings and who had done what. So there were some issues with some crews that necessarily were probably having CRM issues, compatibility issues, um, maybe some interactions between enlisted air crew. And that's the first time, or I think a you know, a decision that didn't make sense to me was like, hey, we got some crews that uh, we think that need some more adult supervision in the back. Mm. 
So we're going to pull you from your crew, and uh, who who, and if anyone doesn't know this, it's hard to explain. But your combat crew, it's it's like going out with four of your boys, or mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily boys. I don't sound like sexist or anything, but <laughs> it's it's your tribe. Yeah, I know exactly what that person's going to do. Yeah. I know when they're being abnormally quiet, when they're normally like the laid back jokes, I can almost tell by the atmosphere something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So you know everything about them and you know when you should engage, when you should pull back a little bit and you kind of know what they're going to think. Now all of a sudden you're going into a named operation where you know it's going to get kinetic because it just that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with someone that already has a little bit of a... Uh, personality conflict especially with you and you're there in a situation although it's an enlisted officer you're probably a little bit more senior experience wise sure so you're trying to navigate that and do it respectfully because I'm never one with a cape like listen sir this is like just don't do that in the Marine Corps mm-hmm. like it's just not how it works so mm-hmm. you're you're trying to use your professionalism to to be uh, I, I hate to use the word turn like force multiplier of anything yeah. like but you're trying Hey, this is an ideal situation, but I'm here for a reason, and that's what I'm going to focus on. Mm-hmm. So we we got on a named op, and I just remember you know hearing about it the night before and kind of briefing some objections to the plan. I, I wasn't a fan of it, but at the end of the day, those are your marching orders. Like mm-hmm. a, a good senior enlisted leader is going to brief his opinion. Absolutely, you know, state state your ground, state everything of why. But when you leave that office, you're Roger that. That's the plan. We're yep. going to go with it and you're going to support mm-hmm. it. And your, your conscience is clear because you've said your piece. Yeah. And I remember like going home and, and sleeping really well. Mm-hmm. But I woke up because uh, we're training for the Marine Corps Marathon Ford. So I woke up and I was like, this is one of those days like, okay, hey, I'm, there's some personality conflicts named up. I've, I've really flown with this, this pilot in, in a while. Um, I really need to have, have my A game like plus. So I just remember changing in, in uh, PT gear and going for like a nine-mile run mm. at like 11 at night around the airfield just to clear my head. Mm-hmm. And if you never know, like uh, at Bastion at that airfield, oh, yeah. at, at night, it's oh, yeah. dark. Yep. Solid dark. Yeah. yeah, and it's like running on, you know, paved road with bits of cinder block and, yeah. And, yeah. and debris everywhere. So it's like I had no lights, you know, and I remember running. And kind of with a backpack, having my gear and the finish, like yeah, it was like nine or eleven miles. I think it was nine. And I got to the squadron and I went out like immediately out to the aircraft, started prepping my guns because the other crews are kind of coming off shift, mm-hmm. so they're landing and they're like prepping their guns. And of course, I don't ever trust anyone to look at guns. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want my guns and yeah. I want to go pre-flight my own guns. And a lot of that time, you know, the junior crew chiefs that were assigned to our crew, again, like my normal enlisted guys, I didn't have them. Thank God, and I had I had a, another a young guy an up and comer, and you know normally at jobs like hey I'll, I'll prep the guns Gunny, and I was like you can prep yours you can do yours all day but I'm touching mine like no yeah. one's touching my gun I know I know when I pull the trigger I want to know it's gonna work absolutely yeah. yeah and then and it was that kind of like calm it was really really calm like I remember just like cool night going out there and it was one of those ones like okay I feel like pumped you know mm-hmm. like where you're you're just i don't know it's one of those for a big exam you know it's yeah. not like do i know the answers for this like i'm ready yeah like aircraft's good looked you know thorough pre-flight guns good went in got the brief came out and it was we're going to go out to to Tarancot, pick up the australians and then go go hit an objective and we had a basically uh you know an op team so we're gonna 
Um, you never go land and drop them off on an OP, which is an observation point. You mm-hmm. do a couple of dummy landings, maybe seven or eight. One of those is the actual. Yeah. yeah. They get out. So if anyone's watching, they see the aircraft land. They, they have to actually go and check out every every area. And we get out and pick them up, and we have to go because we flew from uh, Bastion out to Terrancott, we had to go through the hot pits. Mm-hmm. And the Australian commander um, of the team had a, a helmet issue. His comms weren't working, and you know he needed to talk to the pilot. So probably the one thing that saved my life was that because I took off my gunner's belt, climbed over, you know, the mass of people in the back of the Huey, packs and everything else, yeah. and I get over. I'm working with this comm cord, working with this helmet, get it working back over in the pilot. Say, hey, we need to go, we need to go, we need to go, we need to go. We're like, come on, come on. Yeah. I remember, you know, 20 years, 20 plus 4,000 hours plus of putting on a gunner's belt, right hand release. I pull it up and it's a left hand release. And I was like, Gunny, we gotta go, we gotta go. And, you know, I'm already like very tiptoeing around my interaction with this pilot. Like, yeah. Okay, Roger that. Yeah. I was like, I'll it. fix it in flight, you know, just put it on. And we start, we, we go out. And, you know, we're going to the objective area and we're flying around. There's like sporadic fire, you know, coming up, okay. uh, coming up in the, in the area. And what, what position are you sitting in? in the helicopter? I'm on the right gun. Okay. So you're on the mini gun on the right. Yeah. Gun right side. gun. Okay. And, uh, basically, you know, I think six, seven packs, I can't remember eight. Okay. It was packed. Yeah. Very <laughs> it was packed. And then, uh, Hano Hano was the, my gunner on the left. Okay. Um, so a lot of, you know, communicating what's going on. Hey, there's fire. Hey, it, it's not effective. You mm-hmm. know, they're just shooting up at the noise, and there was a little bit of trying to get a little bit sexy. You know, like, hey, we don't need to. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. they don't they don't they see, us. see us. Like just yeah. just just keep motor on, and we we found our zone. And we start going towards it, and uh, you know, it's part of like where where the the Swiss cheese starts lining up. Where we we go to insert on this, and for me, it's super important whenever you're flying the guys on the ground, you Earth people. <laughs> to you know on time on target professional throughout like mm-hmm. it close enough never meets it you know especially if you're a ground guy if it's a mountaintop to a mountaintop those guys have to go down and yeah. up so you having a grg and putting them right on the x was huge for me and you know i, I didn't know these guys like we didn't hang out but we, you know we picked up the commandos and uh nate and merv were were on my side and uh you know i i learned their names after you know, like, but I just remember talking to him on the way in, you know, we, we pilots give us the three minutes and I tell them three minutes and they're giving each other the signal. And I don't have like envy of anyone. I've always been pretty arrogant. I think as most Marines are like my, <laughs> my, my stuff doesn't stink. Yeah. You know, that I never was like, Oh, look, a celebrity, you know, of like, you know, when people, you know, post OIF would like, Hey, let me buy you a beer Marine. You know, you know, buy me too. My trigger finger's thirsty. You know, I was a little bit arrogant. <laughs> um, so when we had these Australian commandos, like after just working with them, like those guys were like the real deal. Like they, mm-hmm. those on the SA, they're just different yeah. and they have a different aura about them in the way they're not arrogant. Mm-hmm. Humility. Yeah. They're, they're just extremely con- And they treat you, they treat us like gold because like they had, after the first couple of missions, between working with the, you know, they'd worked with the 160th guys, they'd worked with some other units, and they were just like, you guys are not afraid to fire, <laughs> and we want you. And we're like, yeah, I mean, it's got to be symbiotic, right? Like, yeah. we want to work with you, you guys want to work with yeah. us, and we're never going to leave you. You know, there's some close calls where they had to immediately reembark, and we just stayed in, like, laid hate over their head, and yeah. they, like, they knew they, they knew how we were going to work. So 
why I'll say that is I was in a little bit of awe of them, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So I get in, and you're like, okay, it's really important that we get these guys in the right spot. And we come in, you know, here like three minutes, and I tell them they're starting to signal. And it's important to say that they had um, uh, what they call monkey tails. You know, so you have a CRS, a crew restraint system, which is a big cable that runs like an upside down U in the aircraft. And, the, uh, you know, your spec ops guys, and it was only non-US that were allowed to use it. Mm. Um, just basically have this bungee cord with a D-ring, you know, on their belt, and they just hook it to the helicopter. So like 30 seconds out, they're already unhooked. Mm-hmm. So as soon as skids get close to the ground, they're gone. Yeah. Like these guys are professionals. Um we come in, I'm looking at the GRG and, you know, it doesn't look right. I'm looking for like a compound wall with no Twinkies in it and I'm not seeing anything. And then we come, you know, we start getting closer and, uh, you know, doing the calls with the pilot and I was, I'm still like, Hey, this, this doesn't look right. And I do, you know, Hey, wave off. Like, let's just push, push forward and the gigs up. Let's just go, go on another one. And, whether he didn't hear it, uh, and there's been some talks back and forth, or whether uh, he didn't hear it or didn't understand it, or hmm. I didn't convey it, I, I, I've heard the tape. I know what I said. I'll leave it at that. Um, but that's when the the brownouts started enveloping the aircraft, and you know, a Yankee comes in, and it's a big aircraft. Mm-hmm. You know, a 53 guys laughing right now, you know, <laughs> or something else. But they're like, no, it's not big. But, you know, for a November guy coming in and just they, the aircraft, the center of gravity is different. They're yeah. very tail low. Um, so that was a, another thing of, you know, new aircraft. Um, so just the brownout came in really quick. It just enveloped from the rear to the forward. And I, you know, to say again, said wave off of just, you know, hey, just get away from the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we have we had some sensors on the Yankee that, you know, other aircraft didn't have. To where you didn't really necessarily need to see anything, you could just level level your meatball, yeah. full power, get get some space. And the guys on the side, you know, were all, uh, starting to unhook. And I looked at him, Nate Merv. I was like, "Hey, hold on." And I was like, you know, at this point, I was like, "Hey, motor forward," because I started losing, you know, any kind of visibility outside the aircraft. And then all of a sudden, I just started feeling like I like was going back against the rear transmission wall, which mean that we were nose up. Mm-hmm. And I look back and I just, I break out the tail rotor kind of through like a little gap in the dirt. And I just see these, these boulders that are about the size of Volkswagens. And then I just, you know, I was like tail, 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 tail. And I was like, level it out. And I just saw like the sparks Mm. and I just saw the whole tail rotor just like shear off. And of course, without the tail rotor, the aircraft starts spinning in the opposite direction of the rotor head. Um, so it started spinning and, you know, I'm on the right side. So I just see, uh, Nate and Merv kind of got the window, got the door. And I don't know if they were, they were hooked or they jumped or they just, they were there. And I look back, they were gone. Mm-hmm. And then I just see the two cables, you know, they they were still tethered. So I, you know, I was on the, I was on the minigun. I'm like, well, I can't, I'm not doing anything with this. Yeah. And so I just let it go. And I reached down and grabbed them and I just didn't see them hanging there. And I like, monkey strength gorilla strength I don't, I don't know what it was just panic reached out and grabbed them and like pulled them back up in the aircraft and like as far as i could up and then as soon as i like i looked back up and i just saw dirt and rocks and i just saw the blades hit and um i just i went out of the aircraft and i just remember we were talking about this last night hitting hitting dirt yeah 
and it's a really weird feeling and anyone in aviation or unless you've been in it, I don't know if you could describe it. It's just, you're in an aircraft way up and the ground's little and it's green. You're on MVGs, you know, back then it was the old school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Amos nines, you know, and you're, you're everything's safe and you're in your little bubble and your little toilet tube paper of everything safe. And now you're face down in the dirt mm. and, and you know, you hear the helicopter and all that. And then it takes your mind a minute to wrap around what just happened. And you're like, I'm laying on the ground. I was just in a helicopter. And then I just remember looking back up and it like the helicopter kind of rolling over. And I was like, oh, I'm attached to it. Oh. And I reached down for my gunner's belt and it was on the wrong side. So I grabbed for a right hand release and it was there. And I just remember it rolling over and it just flipping me up in the air over that and like rolling over on me. So you're like a tether ball on the outside of the helicopter as it's rolling down the mountain. Yeah, it rolls over. So you think if you had a right hand release, you would have got it in time? I don't know. I mean, I think the the whole panic of like that slow motion of like you're laying on the ground looking at the helicopter, you know, and uh, I think yeah. I'm a Marine, so I'm not the smartest coconut in the planet, <laughs> cannibal in the Congo. But, I'm, you know, you're looking at it, you're like the helicopter rolls over, you're like... Like, I'm in trouble. Like, yeah. the helicopter's on the ground. Like, it's mm. going to roll over. And I was like, oh, snap, I'm attached to it. Yeah. So this thing's just rolling with yeah. you attached to it. Yeah, it rolls over and, you know, kind of long story forward, it tumbles over. And, and I, towards the end, I got, I got knocked out. And that's when I woke up. Um, I was underneath it. I could hear the engines running away. Mm. And I just felt this incredible, like, pain in my... Uh, in my back and I didn't understand what was going on, but, um, if you know what a pain scorpion is, you know, I talked oh. about this. Anyone watch a video or, you know, a skateboarder falling down, they fall on their chest and they're like feet almost, you know, buckle over like by their head. Yeah. That's the way I'd landed and the wreckage rolled on me like that. So I was, my back was hyper extended, which pulls your diaphragm like super, super tight. And then I still had my gunner's belt on, which was attached to the aircraft. And hmm. I was sort of like mid cargo door, shoved underneath the the side of it so i was on top of me and and nate and merv too i didn't i don't i didn't know it at the time and Hmm. i just i just remember hearing the engine and what woke me up was like the smell of fuel yeah Um, and it's all the fuel was was just leaking through it and i was covered in covered in dirt and uh i I just felt like popping which is like my vertebrae just like shattering from the hyper extension so it just started like center back and it was just like like it sounded like a two by four just snapping like it was pop but it was going like right down my butt and it was flattening out so imagine like the bow and then you start pushing down on it so like the the vertebrae were the weak point so they just started popping down the line and started snapping and uh I, I flattened out and I couldn't breathe because my diaphragm was pulled so tight and I just remember like I need to get my gunner's belt off because it just I couldn't yeah, couldn't like avalanche chest. theory, you know, yeah. like it was this, it was so tight on it. And I was like, my right hand, my right hand kind of, you know, like a cop when it gets you was twisted up behind me. Okay. And my, my left hand was there. And then I just remembered, I was like, I put my gunner's belt on backwards. And I remember getting my pinky. And if you know, like the release, there's two little BBs mm-hmm. on springs that it's a tension release. So once you pop it, it gets past those BBs. There was so much tension. It just, it was like a gunshot. It snapped off and like, Went wow. up in the aircraft. It's a heavy canvas thing. There's, it's not elastic. Like yeah. they don't. Yeah. But it was so tense. It just ripped back away and like pulled out. But allowed my like 
whole diaphragm to expand it was like you know i got a breath but i was like face down in the dirt so like had a bunch of jet fuel soaked desert dirt like i inhaled all that in and um i remember just getting my like left hand and scooping this hole and just throwing up into it and uh kind of like tried to move tried to scream tried to do anything and just nothing would come out because and you know the weight from there and i like i think that point it got from like T10 to L2. So now it's down the vertebrates, like snap sequentially. It's down like towards my pelvis now. And I just thought this is it. Yeah. You know, and I, I was super close with my dad, you know, like very, very, very tight. My dad, he raised me pretty much. And, and, uh, he had died like in 2010, Mm. you know, and I was like, this sucks, but I'm going to see him. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and like that, that was a hard loss for me and like Everett and, you know, Vengeance 9798, the guys we lost, like I'm going to see them and like, thank God it's me. It's not a kid, you know, and that's kind of why I'm here. I'd rather be a dinosaur that goes with this and and know that, you know, I kind of like hypothetically took one for the team, but Mm. you know, at that point, like I'm, I, to be in that position, I would have, I would have volunteered at that point. Sure. And then I don't know what it was, man. Like, and I'm not overly religious i'm not superstitious it was just this voice it just said fight hmm. and it was like if you're gonna go go but yeah it, don't lay down and die like yeah and uh i remember i just got a breath and if i get like if i get a breath i can get another one and i was like free my arm and i got my other arm free and i just started digging and i just kind of like poked out and I just saw stars. And then I just remember seeing like this high speed hiking boot just stop. And I just like reached out and grabbed it. And it was, you know, one of the Australians. And then of course, you know, see a bunch of like yeah. headlamps and stuff as they look down there like, you know, <laughs> holy excited, shit. like, holy, yeah, like he's alive. Because mm-hmm. they'd saw my like leg hanging out in a bunch of blood. And, Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they were trying to, to rescue the other two who I think they, they had saw where I was and they're like, there's no way. Yeah. And obviously at that point you're, you're, you're controlling what you can control and saving what you can save. And, you know, obviously, uh, I wasn't a priority rightfully. So I would have made the same decision they did mm-hmm. that there were some other guys that really needed help. Um, cause Nate and Merv were basically under the pilot's door, mm-hmm. you know, almost on top of each other. And they, you know, we didn't have, you're out in the middle of Taron cut you yeah. would have yeah. shovels we didn't have anything so the 240 cans you know the 200 round cans they were trying to use the scoops and trying to shovel out and i just remember you know them pulling me out and they're like hey you know what's wrong you know it's like my back's really weird yeah. i was like I, I don't have a i don't have a rifle i don't have a pistol my body armor was gone like, everything was gone yeah and they took me over to the medic and you know the australian medic and he's like hey can you fill out a casualty card I just remember like hands didn't work. Like they were just not working. Sure. Yeah. At all. And that kind of fear of, of like, I'm the senior guy. Okay. I need to get a head count. You know, okay. Where's our guys? Okay. I you know, got, got all them located. Got a head count on the packs. Okay. You know, we're down to trying to get them out of the wreckage and let's, let's put all effort on that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Guess somebody needs to start communicating and getting, getting a, like where, where we're going, get some overhead and and try and contain what we can what we could do and that's when we found out that um i think the two tenth the you know 
Pedro guys mm-hmm. were were close or had been vectored out to us. And uh, when they got on scene, uh, meanwhile, we're, uh, we had some Cobras overhead. I think we had UAS overhead. And we're talking to them and, and trying to, uh, you know, zeroize all the crypto and kind of get the two uh, Aussies out, Nate and Merv. And at that point, um, you know, them being on my side, I, w- I was really interested on, on how they were doing. And I kept trying to go over there because I didn't have any body armor or anything like that. So I was like, hey, I, I don't want to get back under there and dig, but maybe that's probably the best spot for me. Hmm. You know, I, I didn't have any gear to gear up. Yeah. So if I got kinetic or anything, you know, I, I didn't didn't want someone else. And I just felt like I had to do something. Um, Pedro got on scene and they're like, hey, can you, uh, you know, they kept trying to land Browning out and not being able to get down. And, um, you know, Steve Latham, Corey Arcalani, some of those guys I'm real good friends with now and got their their side of the events. And, you know, they're still bothered that they couldn't get down and get to us. And I know I know Steve Latham's a solid human. Yeah. Um, holds a lot of weight for that. And it's, they, they did their best. And, you know, you couldn't add more to the chaos that was already down there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at that point, they're like, hey, you guys kind of need to push away down down the mountain more to get away from the wreckage. And then we're like, we have, you know, we didn't know they were, they were KIA at the time. Like we, we got team members in the wreckage. Yeah. We're not leaving them. And I remember we kind of had a quick huddle and going like, that's what's going to haunt us later. Like if we try and save our own skin and push down the mountain. Nope. Can't do it. Nope. Like. And, and you're and, you're non-ambulatory at this time. Right? Yeah, I was like my back was completely yeah. completely busted. I was I was just laying up against some rocks by the med- medic trying to I was crawling around like crawling around on my arms trying to just help to do what I could. Mm-hmm. But it was like nothing was working below like Stunning. basically below my sternum. Yeah. Like yeah. I, 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 and I didn't know what, but I just I felt like, you know, I was a senior guy I needed to do something and I was more angry if mm-hmm. I recall right. Sure. That I was hurt and couldn't do anything and that like our crew and I just don't remember a lot what they were doing, but I just remember like, we got to get the guys out from underneath it. Like, mm. okay, we don't have shovels. Hands aren't working. Get the ammo cans, dump the ammo out there, like dig underneath. And you know, they, uh, I'd heard some bad news, but refused to believe it, you know? And then that's when it came in like, Hey, they, they have some specialized equipment. I want to push you guys. You guys need to go down the mountain. We're not going to leave them. We are. Going, we are going to insert PJs. We're going to come in and either repel or whatever. But they were. They're like, we're on scene. You need to push. Yeah. And I remember, like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> and like, the commandos, no, you are. And next thing I know, like a, a stretcher appeared out of nowhere and they're like, I don't need a stretcher. Like I'll crawl down the mountain. Like you guys aren't carrying me. You guys are, you know, yeah. like <laughs> sort of like you're, you're, Stubborn you're, you're your idols. Yeah. Like you're not carrying me. Like, yeah. you know, man, like no, this, I'm not, I'll never hear the end of it. You're not carrying me. And they yeah. like, they put me in and of course it's just like super steep, you know, so we're walking and guys are eating shit. Yeah. Shale rock. All yeah. The way shale. Down. It's like sliding around. They kept dropping it and it's like the, there's a movie with Ryan Reynolds, you know, where it flips over. He's yeah. in a stretcher and it's like, it's like doing that, you know, I'm getting <laughs> all buttons. Friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's doing that. And they're like apologizing, you know, and they're falling down and, you know, we, we get down to the, the bottom of the, the mountain and kind of like near, near the village um, that 
the the main force that it served on with like all the ospreys and everything so a bunch of australian commandos and stuff down there and that's when uh dust off mm. had came in because i think the the pager guys had like had to bingo at that point because they were on station so long mm. and they had got you know they they heard that they had, had got them out that's all we had heard okay and you know i'm thinking okay everything's good and i get in the aircraft and that's when the first time i meet bernie and of course at that point it's like a complete adrenaline dump, you know, mm. start a lot. Hands, bro- hands broken, yeah. fingers broken. I just like wave. <laughs> and I remember I got this cool, like Sunto core watch, yeah. you know, I had ordered and I didn't have much on. I had like my running shorts and my flight suit, like had been just shredded up. My body armor was gone in the crash and the helmet was gone. Gloves gone, boots gone. And like they went to cut my watch, and I was like, "No, I just bought it. <laughs> <laughs> like, just take it off." <laughs> you know, and they're, they're, and they're asking me, and you know, kind of like how how Marines are, we'll figure out a way to bash anyone. But you know, when you fly, you're sanitized, so you don't have any patches. Yeah, anyone mm-hmm. doesn't know what that means. You don't have a wallet. Yeah, you don't have an ID. Um, there's nothing to really identify you. Um, so in case you're unconscious, you know, like on my boot, I wrote my blood type, you know, on my leg, <laughs> yeah. I wrote my blood type on my, my Velcro name patch, you know, with no name patch, I just wrote B positive. Yeah. Yeah. On it. And, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, guys at the squadron were always like, Oh, you know, my call sign was like dark cloud cause uh, history of bad events, you know? <laughs> so they're like, Oh, like check out Tony, the you know, tactical dark cloud, you know, it's got his blood type all over <laughs> operator dark cloud, you know, and we don't, they didn't give me crap. But I was like, man, I want people to have no doubt. Yeah. You know? And then I just remember getting in there like, what blood type are you? In? <laughs> <laughs> it was written everywhere. Yeah. It was, it was, it was everywhere. You know, it's like, you I get it tattooed on you. Yeah, I like fractured part of my my jaw and, and uh, my my skull and palate. So uh, everything had really started to like swell up. Mm. And I remember getting in, and they were, you know, trying to get IVs, and there was just nothing to get an IV in. Yeah, I think it's an IO. Yeah, drill into your bone. Oh, yeah, they, they yeah. and they went in. Mm. It's like it's gonna hurt. And I just remember going up to my arm, and it looked like a golf tee going. And I was like, I can't even feel that. Yeah. And then going into, um, we went back to, to Terrancot to the FOB and with the uh, Australian commandos and uh, their trauma team, mm. you know, and I came in and I don't know, they, they didn't know who I was, you know, they didn't know if I was American, Australian, I couldn't talk and they kind of, they had as a, a friendly fire, uh, you know, an A had opened up in their gym mm. and killed three. And then, you know, I didn't know, but Nate and Murph were, were in the other room. Uh, and they were, they had passed away. And then they, they were basically, you know, were triaging the, the interpreter, where the interpreter opened up on them. So they were pretty busy. Mm. And so I was, you know, they, they weren't really sure. I was, there's so much wrong. You know, they're just, they put it in there. And then the um, Australian, uh, I believe it was the commander and our chaplain came in. And... You know, they were, they were talking to me and they're like, Hey, we heard you guys wouldn't leave them, you know, and we're just like, like nodded. And I remember like they're, they're pretty teared up about it. And the chaplain gave me a St. Michael's medal. Mm. Like I still have to this day. Mm-hmm. I'm so scared to lose it. I don't travel with it anymore, yeah. but like he gave me that. And, you know, I just remember the, the Cobra guys, you know, from our unit, there was some aircraft out on the line. It was like a hospital, you know, so there's aircraft out there. 
I think I was just with with kind of my crew because they had hopped on the the bird with me. Yeah. And eventually, like they they got pulled, they had to go back to base, and that was kind of like the last time that I I really got to see any of those guys. And then really a blur of Kandahar, Bagram, in and out of hospitals. And I remember waking up in one of them and looking around, and I was around like all A and A guys. Like I was in this hospital wing completely paralyzed in a room full of Afghanis oh. and with their family and terrified, you know, I was like someone could walk up with a pillow and yeah. Yeah. You know, and, Absolutely. and this, I remember just asking like, you know, the nurse, if there was a Marine and I still don't know this guy's name. I think he was a major, you know, coming in, like, get me out of here. Yeah. You know, I was like, Hey, I just came out of a friendly fire incident, you know, that happened and like, I don't care if they're A and A or, or whatever. There's yes, yeah. yeah. And he's like, I need to be in a different section. Yeah, yeah. he's like, I put you in a hallway. Like, Done. Yeah, <laughs> I would too. Yeah, I don't blame you. But that's oh. on, on top of what you're dealing with. You're dealing with that as well, and that's got to be just not helping your case. Yeah, and then the the kind of not knowing. You know, it's waking up in a different hospital in a different unit, and mm-hmm. you know that. As soon as you open your eyes, you're like, everything hurts, mm-hmm. you know, but not wanting like pain med. I wanted answers, mm-hmm. you know, where's my crew? How's my crew? Where are the guys? They get everyone out. And it just sort of seemed like no one, no one knew. And, you know, you, you've done medevacs before when you pick up a kid who's all blown up, you know, how's everything? And when you, if you if it's everything fine, it's usually not fine. Yeah. You know, so when everyone was kind of placating me, like I, I started pissing me off a little yeah. bit, like wanting to know like how it's gone, like how, and you know, my wife had just given birth that night or two, like that night or night before that. Man. Wow. So she, she had, she had, you know, so I was wanting to get, get word back to her cause I had no concept of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think this time it had been a week, you know, so I knew that we had a, a newborn at home and a toddler and you know i was i was really conscious of like letting her know that i was okay and you know trying trying to just like realize what like what had happened as well yeah so you know i really remember coming clear in in ramstein germany you know where they're evaluating my back and how bad it was mm-hmm. and like i was a senator you know coming in there was a whole group of vips rolling through here and you know, or asking me where I'm from, like Florida. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're not my district. Have a good day, young man. <laughs> you know? Here's a pen. Yeah. 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 Don't forget to vote. Vote, yeah. vote for me, pen. Yeah. yeah. And they were, they were just sort of like, hey, we need to we need to get them on a plane. And I think there were the, you know, on the planes that they go back to Walter Reed, there's like the, the group that's that's doing okay. And then towards the back is the group that's not doing okay. Yeah. And I kind of was towards the back group. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I was I was going into spasms real bad. Like I didn't I didn't know mm-hmm. what happened. And, and long story short, is like I broke my neck, broke my back. I had my arms, couldn't feel them. Like they were there. I just couldn't. I could move them. I just couldn't feel anything. Hmm. So, and then a brain injury. Like I couldn't really remember anything of what happened. So like brainstem, front hemisphere, right hemisphere. Wow. Like just a complete crush. Man. So from there, I went to. Balboa, the ortho, ortho spine, because I had like shrapnel and stuff, just parts of aircraft blade mm. and everything were gone into like my femur um, and in my stomach. 
so it got it gotten into my my femur and got into like my bone marrow what do they call it deep bone marrow infection yeah so uh, it's your your I was telling you this last night like your your bones turn into consistency of memory foam so you're laying there and I know my right leg which was the bone because it like it almost got kind of like pulled completely out of socket almost ripped off it was hanging there by some skin mm. they'd uh it's swollen up to like twice its size, so they had to cut it to like relieve pressure. Mm-hmm. And then if you push on your like shin, you could push it down like foam, and it'd take like three days for that divot to fill back oh, in. Oh man, weird. And then they—I mean, you can imagine that immense pressure, just like almost like ice before it breaks. Just that. Yeah. And yeah. then they have these cuffs that every like 15 seconds turn on and squeeze your calves. Squeeze. Oh yeah. And that was just like someone, like some kind of weird Chinese torture device, and you're you're trying to sleep, and then you'd hear that you'd hear the machine kick on, and you'd panic immediately. Yeah, yeah. you look for your morphine button, you know, or whatever, and just <laughs> oh, no. start, like a hearing test, you uh, know, yeah. like now and hearing <laughs> test. Button. Button. <laughs> and at this point, have you like looked in the mirror at all? Like, what what's going on? You have bandages on your face, I'm assuming. I, there was just I was so much road rash and so so much. Uh. You know, I kind of yeah. had the, like the boxing gloves on. Yeah, I bet. And and everything else. And I remember this uh, nurse and and and, and Ramsey and going like, "Hey, do you want to call home?" Like, yeah, like kind of getting choked up, you yeah. know. And got you know, ended up bringing on like a whiteboard, and I wrote my wife's number, and he kind of did the Zoom call, and I saw her face. Of course, like her face is all bandaged up, and and just trying to get like pretty emotional. My wife was there, you know, like, "Hey, that's." That's not my husband. Hmm. You know, he just didn't look like me. You know, yeah. and then tattoos, obviously. And she's like, oh, that is. Wow. Like, and she was a nurse, so she she's kind of went into the nurse mode. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, okay, I don't want, I don't, I'm like, no offense, I'm done talking to him. Yeah. I want to know how bad it is. Like, she wanted like a no BS, like how much was her life about to change yeah. and mm-hmm. whether I was going to pull through or not because by then worded sort of like trickled back home that hey we can't say what but you know there was a a, an an air crew e7 that was critically hurt Mm. there's only one yeah (laughs) yeah like kind of by default we know who that is yeah so uh you know she was just trying to wrap around like how how things were going to be with me sure and then you know i i was not the easiest person when I when I came home, mm-hmm. um, I can't say I've done everything wrong, you know. And there's different layers of 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 grief and trauma that that I've gone through, and I'm probably on my fifth or sixth iteration of doing things right or wrong, where I have an epiphany I'm doing things great. Yeah. And then, like anything, as you get experience with it, realize like I handled that horrible. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you take it day by day yeah. at that point. Yeah, um, and true. and I'm sure you got that question towards the end is just like how'd you make it through, right? And yeah, um, you know, for me it was trying to maintain. I did the the kick my shadow thing. You know, some say survivor's guilt. So I'm like, hey, everyone on that side ended up not good, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or dead. And, you know, Nate and Murph ended up passing away underneath the aircraft, and they were right by me. And I did the hey, if I had tried to pull them in, did I kill them? Yeah. If if I had told him something else, you know, could could that have done what a thousand one ifs? Yeah. When you're when you're already an A type, and you're in a leadership position for for twenty years at that point, I'd been in like right at twenty. Yeah. And you, when you're in the hospital, the worst time 
in the world, and you know this is quiet time. Mm. There's the beeping of machines and time to think. Mm. Yeah, it's the worst. And part. you can, I, I used to call it hypothetical scenarios for hypothetical solutions, or hypothetical solutions for hypothetical scenarios. Is I can come up with an answer of what I've done, then I rip that apart, mm-hmm. and then I come up with another answer, then I rip that apart about. And usually, we're on the on the catalyst for everything bad, and yeah. then it's just you have nothing to do but but just beat yourself up over in your head, you know. Yeah. Shower side chats, I like to call it. You know, it's like that's that's the best way to reference it. Is like when you have alone time, you're in the shower. That's where you have those conversations. You yeah. know, and you're going through these hypothetical fights and hypothetical situations. It's the same thing that happens when you're in the hospital bed, except you're uncomfortable. You're not getting good food, and you're wondering what the rest of your life looks like. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, I kind of come back, and unit was still deployed. You know, and through the, the kind of the trickle, because I was so bad, you know, between Ramstein, a couple treatments there, go to Walter Reed, where a lot of stuff on my back and on my legs there to get stabilized. And then I get transferred to the ortho spine unit because they weren't sure how bad my spine was, and especially my leg, if they were going to have to take it or or not. So I go to the ortho spine unit and then they're just sort of like, well, your, until your unit comes back, we're just going to put you up in Wounded Warrior Battalion West, mm-hmm. up at Camp Pendleton. So, you know, that's, it's right next to the hospital. It's just like barracks, mm-hmm. you know, with, then at the time they had some reservists who were like the staff for it. And they're yeah. more like case guys. You, you don't really have a job. And I was, was inpatient for a year and then IOP intensive outpatient for another year. So you basically, your job is you go to the hospital at six in the morning and then you get to go home, sleep in your bed. I'm sorry. You were inpatient for a year. Yeah. Wow. wow. That is incredible. That's a long length of time. And I'm I'm assuming your doc said most likely not gonna walk again. Yeah. They mm. said you 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 were uh, not gonna walk again. They weren't sure if you'd ever have feeling like in my arms. Wow. Um, really bad like vestibular problems to where, you know, uh, I just, head would go down. You just felt like you're always in a downward spiral. Yeah. Yeah. Physically, yeah, it's like yeah. inner ear stuff because because yeah. uh, I was a crush is there's so much wrong, mm-hmm. um, and my pelvis had broke to you know not only where it broke this way but it broke that way, um, and at that time you know you're not ambulatory so you don't really know and you can't feel anything so kind of as as things go along and my hardest part of my recovery was what I'd call like medical purgatory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the time, probably like most Marines, I drank, you know, but this time, you know, I wasn't doing anything. I was in the hospital. And you're drinking but, on medications as well. Well, not, not even that, like, because you're in the hospitals, but hmm. they're giving you Oxycontin and God only knows what opiates. Yeah. And they're lecturing you the whole time, you know, like, I, you know, I don't want them. Yeah. You know, like, well, you need them. You need it's part of your recovery. You need there's too much pain. You need to, but you need to be careful. You're going to get addicted. Like, yeah. there's got to get, there's got to be something else. Convoluted. Yeah. For sure. And then, you know, meanwhile, I, I kind of grew up in the South. So I always had an accent. My wife made fun of me. She's from California. You know, she's like, it smacked, knocked the Southern out of you because <laughs> I had, um, I had to go to speech therapy. I had memory therapy. Like I still have like no memory before like really high school. Mm-hmm. Like when wow. I was younger, I had nothing. Yeah, it's oddly enough, I'm I'm kind of the same. It's like anything pre-military is like I don't really remember. Yeah, much. people like will reach out on social media like, oh, yeah. remember me from high school? Like we hung out. Like no idea. Yeah, yeah sorry. 
Yeah, and it's yeah. it's even like gray through boot camp in my first couple enlistments. Like I can know like if I was really close, but if it's someone else, like I have no wow. idea who they are. Like yeah. if you're one of those people, sorry. So <laughs> when, when did you start um, being able to move your toes, move your legs? Like um, kind of as I went I, uh, intensive uh, outpatient, I started to got to the point where I could walk again. Um, you know, basically with a walker, um, really bad leg braces, and I had, I had this huge. And I think most of the pictures I have, because I refuse to let my wife take pictures in the hospital. I just, I look so bad. And I remember yeah. the, I had this huge back brace. And one of the, the, you know, things my wife was trying to do was really like integrate me, like getting to go out. Because even when I was home, I just refused to leave the house. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of how I looked. And I just remember going to the DMV. God. And this guy looked at me and he's like, what in the hell happened to you? I was like, I get hit by a helicopter. <laughs> and he just started laughing. And he's like, ah, right, you know what? He's like, no, I get hit by a helicopter. No, like, for real. <laughs> I just, yeah. like, looked at my wife, like, I want to go home. That That yeah. is a real feeling. I, I remember, like, when I was able to go out on a wheelchair and with crutches, and I, you know, you have the jeans and a missing foot, you know, missing leg. And I just was so self-conscious about it. Like, I, I don't know what it was. And I just felt embarrassed almost, hmm. you know? Yeah, it... it it was. It was like I look like a mutant, yeah. and nothing works. And I, I, I talked like I, I, you know, an Irishman that had been in a bar all night. I just slurred. Yeah. Um, so I was really, really hyper aware of that, and where kind of thing that or I did to get socialized. Like I grew up in kind of private schools, you know. Hmm. Dad was an officer, <laughs> so I, I kind of like Episcopalian private schools. So I just remember doing like going to my wife's. Like you got to do, you got to leave the house, like. You know, I was just circling the drain very mm-hmm. slowly. And she's like, I, you, you got to get out and do something. You just sitting in here beating yourself up is, is not going to go well. Yeah. And really battling the mental health side of it, you know, which we can get into later on if you want to. But, you know, she's like, you got to go do something. And I, I like volunteered to go teach Sunday school because mm-hmm. I knew enough to be proficient. Sure. But little kids, you know, you show up with a back brace in a wheelchair and you read Brutal. to them, you read to them like they, yeah. you know, there's no like, why do you look like that? You yeah, know, and yeah. it was like, they didn't care if you yeah. talked funny. They didn't care. You and know? it was like, it was almost, almost as comical as like an ortho spine unit. You get around <laughs> a bunch of amputees and I'm not one to, you know, I'm not one, but those guys on each other oh, yeah. and the shenanigans that oh, go yeah. on and, and around amputees is my God, it is. It's a it's brutal. Bru- it's, a <laughs> it's a brutal world, kind of but it's love. It's it's it's. It you know, we talked about that gallows humor. It's like you have to just embrace the yeah. the horror of it all to mm-hmm. recover through it. Yeah. And you know that that's something that we we try to bring to this show as well. It's like there there is a camaraderie in injury as well. Like there there's that, that just that brotherhood and sisterhood that you feel. I, I remember being in the hospital in this. Uh, this guy looks at me. I'm I'm dealing like with my prosthetic for the first time, blah blah blah. And he's he's above the knee, both legs, and he looks at me and he goes, Must be nice to have a flesh wound. <laughs> and I just remember like that hit me so hard where I was just like, F you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and, but you you're just like, You're right. Like that's the situation you're in. And yeah, I'm sure yeah. you got this question too a lot was it could be worse. Did oh, you yeah. ever get that? And that yeah. that one, that was the knife to my side. Yeah. It could be worse. And like, as you're sitting, it could always be worse, you know, and you just devalue everybody's situation. Could be better too. Way better. Could be way better. Yeah. It was like that, that common experience 
too, where, you know, there wasn't a lot of aviation guys at Wounded mm-hmm. Warrior Battalion, a lot of infantry guys, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of other guys like, you know, IEDs come from convoys and a lot of those, uh, you know, we had some uh, recon guys in there that were shot in the hip, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of guys that were like return, return guests, mm-hmm. you know, you shot, recovered, shot again and came back. And, uh, you know, I just remember them, you know, wanting that some kind of commonality to it, you know, like that shared experience to where I'd be in like the, the TBI, real bad TBI, where you'd be in like the groups talking and they're like, well, how did you get in? They talk about how through explosions, you know, reverberate from the explosions, how it goes through the body, how it does the brain stem and hammers it, and then how it gets into it. I know, like, I'm kind of sitting over at the corner looking like a mutant, you know, all swollen up and, like, I was a crush guy. I don't no clue what you're talking about. I yeah. wasn't, I, you know, with a group of IED guys, and you're sympathetic to it, but you're like, I... That's not me. And you're... you're it's different, yeah. And there is a line. Like, I was I was an E7 going on to an E8, and I think as I after I got hurt, I was promoted to E8 at Wounded Warrior Battalion, so hmm. I became a company first sergeant where you're like now a senior enlisted and that's kind of a very hard to get position. So I was like, I, I've thought they're less than 13% of Marines make it to first sergeant. Hmm. And here I was something I'd worked my whole career to get that in flying. And I was like, I'm never going to fly again. And I'm never going to go do this first sergeant job. And that's where like at wounded warrior, there was a couple, a couple other guys that were first sergeants there too. Like who had got there. Um, for various injuries or kind of were given breaks from the units who were going through some severe, severe PTSD stuff and mm-hmm. kind of took me under their wing. And, you know, they're like, hey, we need someone to do this position here. We don't have a senior enlisted guy. You know, do you want to do it? Instead of feeling sorry for myself, it was like, let me kind of wrap around because I had those life experiences that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no offense to the staff at Wounded Warrior, but a lot of them were like a reserve, like, for example, like reserve artillery guys. Sure. So there was a lot of resentment from the guys that were combat wounded. Didn't like the reserves anyway, let alone like those guys telling them what to do. So it was sort of like I had that shared experience to like, okay, you have a you have the patch, you know, yeah. so now you can talk to me and tell me to quit being stupid. And, yeah. you know, before then it was a lot of laying in rooms, feeling sorry yourself, you know, and being medicated. And a lot of them I knew was like a one-stop shop out of the Marine Corps, right? Like they were just, it was just, it was life. They were going to yeah. get processed out. Yeah. Um, but it was like, hey, you know, you're not out yet, so let's get a uniform back on. Let's get out of out of sweats. Let's yeah. Get you back in the fight. A get bit. a haircut. Like get get some pride back into it. Like you may not be one six months from now, but you're one now. Mm. Let's start looking at how we look and trying to hold that and you know not try and make you a good marine, but try and like make you a recovered marine and yeah. try and bring you back in that fold a little bit because it is you know i was looking down at that barrel too and it's scary like now i had to go get a real job what am i going to do can i do anything mm-hmm. and i got a family you know my family yeah. everyone i was the sole provider so what what does that look like so i had uh taken over as a company first sergeant and, and really got around and just kind of leadership by walking around and gone around especially with the the marines and sailors that had we're having severe problems, mm-hmm. you know, engaging with them and got some, got some people on the right track. And I remember our company commander was like, Hey, I think you have a knack for this leadership thing. Are you sure you're done? And I just remember looking at him like, 
kind of, you know, you idiot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Dumb question. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to stay around. Like, yeah. I, I, like I'm already, like I got my rating back like it was 100% getting shown the door. And I was like, I, I don't want to. And, you know, he was just like, fight it. Hmm. And you did. I did. You did. I did. I remember uh, talking to Sergeant Major and talking to the commanding officer and going, hey, if I, if I pass a PFT and CFT, can I get orders and, and go back to full duty? Because um, I think you're, you're, I was on my third strike for, for going back to full duty. You only get three, right? Mm-hmm. And I was my, my third one was about to expire. And I remember like, okay, we'll schedule a PFT, but like your, your back's broken. You still had like 23 staples in your stomach and mm-hmm. um, neck was still jacked up. And you're like, you can do pull ups and all, all that other stuff. Like, yep. And I was like, I want everyone in the command element out there when I do it. Like, I don't want there to, I'm not going to be out there with like an E4 where I make them do, you know, yeah, <laughs> sign this yeah. off. Like, Pencil it. Yeah. yeah I, I wanted, Earn you know, it. I basically, I wanted some eyeballs on it. So to ask people to go out there and I, and I did, I mean, it was like a low third class. It was bad. <laughs> and I just remember like going like, Oh, I need to, you know, go to the bathroom after and it was like throwing up blood, you know? And, oh, and, and like, you know, went back, told my wife and I was like, I, I'm, I want to do it. And I was like, there's one thing that I want to do beforehand uh, to really prove that I can go back to, to full duty. And I wanted to run uh, um, a triathlon in, in San Diego for Nate and Merv. Mm-hmm. And it was like right on the two year anniversary of my crash. Mm-hmm. And I remember going out and this isn't like a wounded warrior one. This is like legit, legit, legit. triathlon. <laughs> yeah. And, blown, and, and like Del Mar, you know, and there's some serious competitions, but oh, yeah, yeah, place third. Wow, it's like a, third overall in and a full try, yeah, and like it's incredible. Wow, getting in there and like really strong in the really strong in the bike, really strong in the swim, yeah, because you know, th- thanks to like you know, recovery when the warrior they had a pool. And it started out from, you know, the, the sinking treadmill that goes in the water oh, that yeah. you walk on because that's how I'd learn how to walk again. And then some of the recon guys that were there teaching me some. So it's kind of like tribal knowledge, you know, like yeah. everyone there, it's like a whole herd of goodness, you know, trying to like, yeah. don't feel sorry for yourself. So I did that and that made me, you know, for a very brief moment, like I'm on top of the world. I just did mm-hmm. this triathlon and I talked talk to my wife and I was like, okay, I'm going to go back. We're going to go back full duty. We're going to continue this career. And she's like, absolutely. Wow. She's like, you know, and she, she, she was a nurse and not enough credit to her. She'd put her life on hold, you know, with a newborn yeah. and, and that, and like became my primary care provider because I was so toxic at that time uh, with medical providers. I just refused to listen to them a couple of mm. times. You know, I was uh, just quit taking meds and, mm that never goes well never does and uh so she she, i was she was only one i would listen to so she put her whole career on on hold so i was like okay since you you did this for me like anywhere you want to go and she's like uh i'm gonna go to hawaii i was like there's infantry in hawaii (laughs) there's only infantry in hawaii are you sure about that (laughs) you know and uh she's like yeah i want to go and uh and at the time you know it was like that that tree that falls in the woods does anyone here and i just wanted this like this righteousness like that i'm and i'd seen a wounded warrior and and no no disparity to to any recovering service member but people just handle things different Mm. they do you know especially a wounded warrior battalion 
and no offense to them because I understand what they do. You know, a lot of units use it as a dumping ground mm. for people that just don't want to be Marines or sailors. Sure. Um, and then there's wounded, combat wounded. There's ill, like cancer. Yeah. And then there's like motorcycle crashes and people that will never wounded, be full. and injured. Yeah. So you have all those people. And at this time, it's a lot of OIF, OEF, a lot of combat wounded, and a whole lot of great Americans with their heart in the right places, you know, here's NASCAR events, here's hunting events, here's a great dinner event, outdoors event, you know, you yeah. name it, these, these nonprofits and, and other people that have these really, you know, great minded, big hearts, big pockets, wanting to do things for veterans, which is awesome, you know, but they offer that to wounded warrior time. Now there's internal strife inside with someone, you know, maybe a, an E3 who's, oh, yeah dealing with some stuff, hasn't been to combat. Mm -hmm. Now there's someone who's combat wounded and they're looking at them. Why are they here? And you know, that, that internal strife. So there's there, there was a little bit of unease mm -hmm. around all that. And you're trying yeah. to navigate that. If you know, this captain has cancer, he's never deployed mm -hmm. and he's there. Is that his fault? Does yeah. he still deserve a good deal? You know, compared to someone else who maybe just doesn't want to be a Marine and they hear voices or something. So yeah, that was, that was a tough one trying to explain to those guys, you know, Hey, focus on you. Mm. Yep. Don't focus on that. That's my job to focus on that. And then trying to find the secret sauce to where, you know, we had some amputees or below the hip amputees who were haircut every day, blouse, no lower half, you know, wheelchair, some of the most positive kids you'd ever meet. Mm. Um, every reason, you know, wife took off on them whatever mm -hmm. reason to be sad. And then you, you'd have a, someone who was supply who never got mortared, but had PTSD because they could have got mortared. And mm -hmm. I'm using that as an example. I'm not yeah. singling anyone out, Yeah, but, but their true. life's a mess. Yeah. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're, you know, I wouldn't say abusing their wife, but they're definitely mentally abusive. They're, they're just not a good human. Mm -hmm. They're abusing their prescriptions. They're mixing it with alcohol. They're not attending their appointments They're And then no, there's no physical trauma to them. Mm -hmm someone else who's got shot or, or something else. And every reason, you know, lost both legs, triple amputees. Yeah. And they're like, and we've tried to find what was that secret sauce? Like in like trying to, trying to isolate it. Cause people are like, Hey, you have a really good attitude towards what happened. And it's like, you know, and like most people in that case, like I've done everything wrong, man. I've, I've pissed off my family. I've gone crazy. I've, I've kicked my shadow around. I like, I lost my career. Cause you know, one of the highlights for us is in aviation is your, your final flight, your finny flight, yeah. the crash fire trucks come out, spray everyone down, you know, and that, and that's it. You know, my last one was that night in Afghanistan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a, when I was at wounded warrior battalion, getting asked to go by the squadron and you know not not too many people came by the hospital and i don't i don't blame them but i, I just don't think you want to be reminded of what can happen yeah absolutely and so you know there's a lot of time and you see a lot of faces and they're that awkwardness of like hey hey i would have come by and seen you but dot 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 yeah yeah you know and then seeing the aircraft and just being around and i wouldn't say triggered but it definitely like i didn't want to be there mm -hmm. i can understand why i mean shakes up a lot of a lot of stuff you're trying to work through at that time yeah you, know, you just right? sort of close the door on that yeah. i think with with all of us like through trauma you <clears throat> uh, everyone handles it differently but for me you know between all the losses and, and crew members and between mishaps that i'd lost you know over 20 something friends yeah each time there's more trauma is you kind of open up that manhole to shove more 
goes down it, the little stuff starts bubbling up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't then, deal with it. Yeah. So if you've never reprocessed, now it gets a little bit too much pressure to keep that, that lid down on it. So, mm. um, and yeah. that's when, yeah, from there I went, uh, I got over to Hawaii and got over there and went and to end up going to a combat assault company, which is mm-hmm. an Amtrak unit. Okay. You know, kind of like strikers, but yeah. tracked yeah. Yeah. tank boats. <laughs> tank, <Pretty. laughs> tank boats. Yeah. So it's a non-deploying yeah. uh, unit. I got over there and uh, I checked into regiment and kind of my mentor, you know, Sergeant Major Vincent Santiago is a phenomenal human being and Colonel Wine and was a third uh, regiment CO. You know, I got immediately got there and uh, kind of threw up the flag, which is the dumbest thing in the world to do. Like, hey, I'm coming out of Wounded Warrior. You know, he's like, I don't give two shits for Sergeant. You know, you're wearing the rank. You're going to do the job. Yeah. I don't want any excuses out of you. And that, and that was for the first time, someone like made me take ownership. Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't like that you're, you're hurt. And let's tiptoe around yes. and you poor thing and let's give you You're stuff. It, Back yeah. to being a Marine. Yeah. yeah. And it was, and that's what, that's single-handedly to this day. Thank you, Vince. That's, that's what saved me. Like it was, yeah. it was like the, I don't give two shits yeah. that you're hurt and you're broken and your back hurts and you're an infantry unit. Like you, you wanted to be here. You fought to be here. You're going to do every bit of it. Yeah. That's incredible. And you said you could. Leadership. Yeah. And that, and that was tough. You know, you start having, you know, infantry guys, like the PT in the morning. I don't know if they like to, you know. <laughs> but they do. But they, they do it, you know, five <laughs> o'clock. And, and I was one of those ones that, Hey, leadership, you know, you're there with them. Mm. So yeah. you're, you're trying to compete with, uh, w- with 18, 19 year old young infantry kids, infantry yeah. kids and they're <laughs> oh, like in, in stupid shape. And you're, you're trying to toe that line because you, you want it to be righteous, right? Like, sure. you know, between Nate and Mervin more so every bit of like Bernie, his pilots, the, the, Pedro guys, you know, the two tenth guys, the Australian medics, the Australian doctors, every nurse and doctor through that I never knew. There was like a medical blur. Yeah. Wanting to say thank you and wanting it to mean something. And I know, Christian, I'll tell you this, that, you know, you've, you've done medevacs where you've pulled kids out mm. and I've done it too. You know, it's not a TTP for us, but sometimes, you know, we've done it. We've done yeah. SAR duty. Um, and sometimes you just drop kids off at the hospital and you never, they're just, Hey, we got them there. Yep. And that's it. They're, they were alive when they left. And, and that's, that's all you see. Yeah. And you, it's sort of like, and I, I told this at the, the two tenth guys and they got a lot of laughter, especially with the crew. I was like, it's like a little weird one night stand. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, they don't ever called. Was it, was I bad? You yeah. know, it's like, they ne- never hear from them. Like what's, <laughs> yeah. what's, what, why don't I never heard from you never again. heard from again. It must not have been good. But that's funny. It's an accurate assessment. Uh, but yeah, there's, comparison. but there, there, and I, this is what I wanted to get out of this. So I appreciate this. Like the one thing I wanted to give you guys, like there's guys like me that think about it every mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To think about Bernie every day to think about everyone. And it, it causes a lot of, damage for a while because you have to get up earlier than everyone. You have to work later. You have to outwork them. Yeah. Um, you have to outcompete, you know, it's, I don't know if it's survivor's guild. I, I think that's a phase of it that I think I'm out of. Sure. But it's, there's gotta be a reason you gotta, you know, cure wiener cancer or vent the longer burning light bulb or, or justify your presence, be a more present husband, mm-hmm. a more present father, a better worker, a more compassionate team member at work. And you go through this thing all day. So if, anyone in the rescue or medical team ever thinks that those people just don't think about it. There's guys like me that literally get up every day in the first 10 minutes. I lay on the floor, apparently make a lot of noise, <laughs> stretching and, and 
it's because one, I can't, I can't walk without doing it. And two, it's like, I don't know if it's to say a prayer, but just to go through and, and, and thank everyone who, yeah. that, that had risked their neck or their time or, or their grief to, to do something. And that, you know, even goes back to my wife from, you know, Lanny and Walter Reed going, hey, they're, you know, they want to take your leg um, unless you get up and start walking because the bone infection is in your thigh. And if it gets up into your hip, there's no stopping it. And then they're going to take your leg for sure. Yeah. You need to get up and walk. It's like well, my, my back is broke genius. I, I can't, you know, and you're just rude. You're just yeah. a mean, yeah. mean person. You know, she's get up, like, get up. You're going to take a hospital square of the floor. You're going to do one a day. Yeah. And then next day it's two then it's yeah. three. And then you're, you're just that crippled mess in your walker making your way though. And now look at you, you know, back on your own two feet. Yeah. I mean, you went back to serve, which is incredible, and that that had to launch you light years um, through your recovery as well. It's just getting back, and you know, I did the same thing. Um, like, I think that was the single biggest point for me is like being surrounded by those like-minded individuals again. That marine mentality, ranger mentality, in my case, was just like, no, you're going to keep driving, and you have that reinforcement. It's the support system around you. Mm-hmm. that really helps launch you forward. Mm. And without it, you're just, you're just lost. And it's really easy to get addicted to the meds and drink the booze and lock yourself away in a house for 10 years, you know. Mm. But uh, you didn't. So that, that is just a tribute to your overcoming of the adversity that you faced. So incredible stuff. Yeah, it was, it was helpful for me. It's going to Combat Assault Company and going to tracks. You know, it was the first time as a first sergeant, but getting enough rapport on the infantry side to then to get requested up to one of the infantry battalions, you know, mm-hmm. that, hey, heard about you, and now an opening came up, and I got requested, you know, by mm-hmm. one of the infantry battalion commanders to come up to 1st Battalion, 3rd Marines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And take over a company, and they're like, you know, like, why do you want me? He's like, one, I worked with you at Regiment. You're, you know, solid Marine, which was, was cool when, when you get a, a grunt guy, you know, talk, especially an officer that you respect. Uh, Colonel Jones and you know they, hey we're also the you know kind of this helo company that you know alpha companies can do things by by more helicopter and you you know you're an aircrew guy so you can communicate and and help us you know bridge that gap yeah so it was like a little bit of of common knowledge and you know for me it was important doing you know at this point I'm coming on 25 years mm-hmm. at at 20 years if you've done aviation you're good at aviation you're a good instructor weapons and tactics instructor should be a no-brainer. You've done it for 20 years. But if you can navigate going to a completely different side, going to the ground side, you know, as a senior enlisted and do that and have that rapport and respect, um, now maybe you're a good Marine. And to me, at the end of the day, that that was a lot more. Because I definitely had a lot more compassion on the leadership side. Sure. You know, to go through and kind of like understanding isms within Marines and, yeah, hey, what is this... Um, you know, junior leaders like leadership development. Mm. Hey, this this E three is broken up with his girlfriend, and you know he wants to end the world. Yeah, um, you know I could be through that. I mean, I've been through divorces, single parent, and you know I've been wounded. But you have to understand that trauma and how to reach those kids and mm. actually pulling them back in the fold. Well, that's what huge for me. So I mean, a lot of people jumped in. Yeah, and made that happen. So hopefully, I've paid it back enough. Um, I'm sure you have, and it, it sounds like you have, and it also sounds like you got to close out your career on your terms, too. 
Yeah. Right. You didn't, it, it wasn't the, the end point for you after, after your mishap and after your injury, you, you got back into the fight and you got to close out your career on your terms and not in a bad spot either. I mean, yeah, taking no. the wife out to Hawaii, that's not bad. Yeah. But, I mean, going out to, to there and then when, you know, it's when, you know, kind of some of my mentors who, who were oddly enough, you know, always on the master gunnery sergeant yeah. side, you know, and I was kind of on the sergeant major, yeah. uh, first sergeant side, even though it's a first sergeant, um, when it's your time, it's your time. Mm. And during my last deployment, you know, just being out in the field with the Marines, because whenever they were in the field, I was there. And then just developed some some significant back problems. And that to the point where it was, am I, am I doing this for the wrong reasons? Yeah. Oh. And, you know, coming in zone for E9 and looking at it, I was like, well, I could stay in the battalion for another five years and deploy and put my family through that and still work at the 05 level or be a present dad, you know, my wife had put everything on hold and how bad that would that be if I deployed again and something happened again, you know, at what point was I being selfish for, for that? So uh, I just looked at it and I remember calling her one night and I was like, Hey, I think I'm done. And she's like, thank God. (laughs) She's like, I I could have never told you, you know, I could know you would have fought me the whole way. She's like, you just had to be ready when you were. And like you said, that was a great point, you know, for you. It was like, I'm so stubborn that it was when I was ready to go, okay. Yeah. Then I was at peace with it. There's no, like when I came in, no one was going to tell me what to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like you, uh, you wrapped up wisely and I'm really glad you were able to work through that stuff and get back onto the active duty. You know, I, I, like Dave said, I'm sure that helped significantly with your recovery and fed into that resiliency as well. But I'm glad you were able to get that opportunity to close out your career on your terms and, I'll tell you what, man, you've got an incredible story. It was a hell of a fight, yeah. man. Hell you, of a fight. You've survived some, something that, I mean, I don't think anyone else in the world would have survived something like that. It's it can always be worse. Pure, <laughs> pure stroke of luck. I mean, or, it's got to be here for a reason, too. Yeah. And, you know, we just thank you so much for being so open with us and sharing your story. Um, these kind of stories mean so much to our audience and those who are thinking about joining the military, those who are in the military. Mm-hmm. It's just a tribute to overcoming adversity and seeing you come out on top and walking on your own two feet and doing what you're doing now is incredible. So thank you so much for just being so open with us. Yeah, absolutely. If I could leave you guys with this, kind of what you were talking about. I've always wanted to be a good ambassador. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, you kind of like it goes right back into recruiting. You know, I, I'd rather... Using resiliency, if that makes sense, even though I feel comical saying it because the road I've been on, because I butchered it. Um, I always want to be a good ambassador for the Marine Corps or any branch of service to where if they see me, someone met me for the first time. Uh, I like to like them to think oh, that's a well-rounded guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he looks people in the eye, firm handshake, and there's a command presence to him. Yeah. Right. Like there's there's just a little bit of like I'm in charge and I'm confident. Um compared to other times when I've seen, you know, combat wounded folks where there's, there's almost this flagpole of something's broken, mm, you know, there's yeah. service dog, there's sunglasses where they rose up this banner that I, that I'm hurt and I got a raw deal and, and I'm angry with the world yeah. to where I could, I, cause I am a parent. I, I would never want to look at someone and go, look what the military did to that guy. Like yeah, my kid's yeah. never going in the military. I'd rather like not say anything. Someone meet me and then like, kind of like you gentlemen, you know, like, Hey, there's a story behind it. That's, it's a cornerstone, but not a flagpole, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, I, I always you, say resume item. 
Yeah. You know, it's a resume item. It, yeah. it doesn't define you. Yeah, one day it's not going to define me like it won't define you or yeah. anything. It's 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 the choices you make after that def- that moment is what makes you who you are. You yeah, let it break, make you or break you. Mm. Yeah, and it's a constant state of learning mm. and reshuffling and reprioritizing. So, I hope I conveyed the story enough to where it made sense from my my point of view. It did definitely, yeah. and uh, jaw dropping, jaw dropping stuff. Um, and like I said, thanks thanks for being ambassador to the Marine Corps. Uh, thanks for your service, and thank you for getting out there and continuing what you're doing and spreading the message. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Really forward to this. Yeah, same here. This has been the Medevac Podcast with Ryan Layton, ladies and gentlemen. Be sure to interact with the video somehow. Hit the like button, share this story, and uh, stay tuned over the next two episodes. We're going Don't to- forget to tune in next week. Yeah. Yeah, what for he said. part two yeah. of the Reconnection episode. Yeah, part two, and then more. We'll see you next time. Bye. See you next time.